Welcome to Bible Center Church, and thank you for joining us for this week's podcast. We pray that the Lord speaks to you as you hear from His Word today. Hey there, welcome to church. It's so great to have you here from around the city, around the state of West Virginia, maybe even around the country or around the world. We love having you tune in with us. I'm Pastor Matt. I'd love to meet you the next time we're able to get together. And we're starting to have an idea, a better picture about when that will be. Uh, It looks like Early to mid-June, we'll begin meeting together uh, for our worship, our corporate gatherings. Uh, And we rolled out a plan this week that I would love to share with you. If you haven't already seen it, you can go to BibleCenterChurch.com. And at the top left of our website, you'll see our reopening plan. Just click on that link and there's a video, there's slides, there's everything there to talk about the four phases of us reopening. Uh, But in the meantime, I'm so glad that you've chosen to tune in with us. I wanna also just take a quick second and let you know about the sermon notes. We have sermon notes available for both adults and children. Several of you have asked about that. The best way to get the sermon notes for the adults or for the children will be to go to the app, uh, the Bible Center app. You can click on the media tab and you'll see the notes there in two separate sections. The adult notes are great. Uh, They have an opportunity. They actually have a book recommendation and a way for you to go deeper in your Bible study through this pandemic. I've reformed formatted the way I do my sermon notes. And so there's actually a way that you can go deeper in God's word every week right there at the bottom of the outline. But the adult, the uh, children's notes are also helpful. There's a way that kids can write down keywords that they hear, maybe words they don't understand. They can also draw pictures or color pictures uh, about the sermon. And so if you adults want to use the children's sermon notes, that's totally okay. Uh, We will not judge. You can find that again again, on the app, or you can go to biblecenterchurch.com forward slash live today and go ahead and download those notes for free. We'd love to put those into your hands. Well, if you would take your Bible or your Bible app and open with me to the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter two. Exodus is the second book in the Bible. So there's Genesis and then there's Exodus. If you're not sure where it is, you can Google it. Uh, the, The message will also, the verses will also be up here on the screen. But today is the second message in our series entitled Divergent, What in the World Do We Do Now? Uh, We're gonna take the entire summer and we're gonna wander our way. We're gonna meander our way through the book of Exodus with the people of God. And if there's a book that I believe speaks to confusion and uh, fear, I think it's the book of Exodus. And so the Lord has led me to teach through the book of Exodus this summer. I hope you'll join us for the journey and may the Lord speak to your heart and give you strength and comfort and challenges and encouragement as we emerge from this pandemic together. Well, today's message is entitled, Finding God's Grace in Our Mistakes. Finding God's Grace in Our Mistakes. And we're gonna look at the life of Moses. Essentially, what we're gonna do in this message is I'm gonna tell you uh, the true story of Moses and a mistake that he made, a huge mistake that he made in his life and how it affected the rest of his life. And so I'll spend the majority of our time trying to retell that story uh, from God's word, that true story uh, from the scriptures. And then I'm gonna close with one truth, just one big idea uh, that I think will help you. I trust it will help you as much as it's helped me this week. So let's go ahead and dive into the story together and see what God's word says. Exodus chapter two in verse 11 
The Bible says, one day after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were and watched them at their hard labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. Now, when it says that Moses had grown up, this passage doesn't tell us how old he was, but Acts chapter seven and verse 23 tell us that Moses at this point was 40 years of age. So for 40 years, he had grown up in the palace of the queen or the Pharaoh himself. Uh, Moses, as I said last week, had received the finest education and the finest care that the Egyptians had to offer. But at the age of 40, something happens in his life where Moses goes out to begin to watch, to begin to look at his own people. Way down deep, Moses connected more with his biological family than he did with his Egyptian family. He knew he was a Hebrew. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us how he knew he was a Jew. It's very possible that his adopted mother, uh, Queen Hatshepsut, had told him that he was a Hebrew. It's also possible, more than likely, that his biological mother, had, who had raised him at a young age, taught him from a young age about his lineage. Uh, to me, that seems more likely than for his adopted mom to do it. Uh, we don't know how old he was or how for how many years that she was able to take care of her son, but we did learn last week from, from Exodus 1 and 2 that actually the queen paid his biological mother to raise him up to a certain age. Some believe that it was age five. It may have been even all the way up to age 12 uh, that his biological mom was able to raise him. But Moses connected more with the Jewish people than he did with the Egyptians. And so on this particular day, he goes out to watch them at the labor camp. Just imagine with me as Moses meanders through the labor camps and he knows the camp where his sister Miriam and where his brother Aaron work. Just picture as he stands outside the fence, as Moses begins to circle and, and he watches them sweat and he watches some of them die and he watches many of them be whipped. Just, just picture the emotions that would have welled up in his heart, this, this sense of injustice those were his people. Those were his relatives. On one particular occasion, we just read that Moses sees an Egyptian slave master pick up his club and begin to beat a Hebrew slave. Now, we don't know how bad the beating was, but just picture in your mind that, that slave driver beating the back of that slave and, and maybe even beginning to break the skin and oh, how it angered Moses. And Moses saw an opportunity to do something about it. And we read about that opportunity in verse 12. In verse 12, it says, looking this way and that and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. Moses was so incensed. He was so angry. Picture as that military training, that, that military training that he'd received from the, the Egyptian army as it kicked in. He knew how to kill a man. Uh, we find the historian Josephus tells us that Moses had become a, a, a key military ruler in South Egypt. And so he knew what to do. Picture as Moses grabs him by the throat and yanks him behind a building and begins to beat him to a bloody pulp. The Bible says he killed this slave driver. 
Now, Moses had no legal freedom to do what he did, even though he was the prince of Egypt. They weren't yet at war, so he, he wasn't in a wartime scenario. Though the taskmaster certainly deserved God's justice, two wrongs never make a right. There is zero indication that God told Moses to kill this slave driver. Actually, the smoking gun is in verse 12 when he says, looking this way and that. We, it's helpful for us to remember that Moses actually wrote the book of Exodus. And so Moses himself is admitting he looked this way and that. A good indication that something is not right to do Typically, I know there's always exceptions, but, but typically a good, a good way to know that something isn't acceptable to do is if you have to look this way and that before you do it, it should make you think twice about doing that particular action. It reminds me of Proverbs chapter 28 and verse one that says, the wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. In other words, if Moses thought this was okay to do, he wouldn't have done it in secret and he wouldn't have felt the need to hide the Egyptian in the sand. It was also Moses who later in the book of Numbers, he said, be sure your sins will find you out. And you can just picture as Moses writes those words later in the book of Numbers, thinking about this particular occasion. We know that Moses had an anger problem. We'll hear this summer a little bit about Moses's anger problem. Maybe it was his anger that welled up. Maybe he was going through a midlife crisis. Maybe he was just tired. He was sick of all the pampering of royalty in Egypt. But we do know this. Moses threw away 40 years of spiritual preparation. He threw away 40 years at least of, of somewhat of a reputation in one moment of making a poor choice. Look with me in verse 13. Verse 13 says, the next day he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting. He asked one in the wrong, why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? The man said, who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought to himself, what I did must have become known. Moses's plan backfires on him. Moses, just, you can just imagine thinking that his own people were going to consider him to be a hero, but they don't respect him either. And one of them turns to Moses and, and in their own way, they said, who made you the boss of us? Who died and left you in charge? So even they challenge Moses's authority. Even though his motives were sincere, they viewed him as a spoiled grandson of Pharaoh, of Thutmose I, son, a spoiled son of Queen Hatshepsut. They viewed him as the spoiled stepbrother to Thutmose III, and they considered him to be a Johnny-come-lately figure who emerged from the ivory palace way too late, being willing to do way too little. As I was meditating on this passage this week, I was also just trying to think, why would the Egyptian or the Hebrew slaves be so upset that Moses killed an Egyptian? I think one reason very well could be that they knew they would get blamed for it. You see, Moses hid 
the slave driver, uh, in the sand. So Moses wasn't gonna take credit for it. Eventually, this man's family was gonna know that he was missing and they were gonna get blamed for it. So they were not happy with what Moses decided to do. And just when we think that things couldn't get any worse, they go from bad to worse. Notice verse 15. When Pharaoh heard of this, he heard of the murder, he tried to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian where he sat down by a well. Now, this particular Pharaoh, most scholars believe, was Thutmose III. Uh, this would have been Moses' stepbrother. Uh, there's some evidence from archaeology that there was this rivalry between Moses and his stepbrother, Thutmose III, possibly over the love that he had received from his mother, Hatshepsut. Uh, and it seems there's some theories that say that the queen loved Moses more than she loved uh, Thutmose III. Uh, there's a lot of speculation about it, but there was definitely a rivalry because most pharaohs wouldn't have heard about a murder taking place out in the labor camp. I mean, our own president, no matter who he or she is, uh, doesn't know when there's a murder typically in the United States. But you see, I believe Pharaoh kept his eye on Moses. He was just waiting for Moses to slip up, for, for him to have an excuse to execute his rival. Moses was forced to run from his life. And in the example of Moses, we see that sin always has consequences. Sin always has consequences. Sometimes those consequences are spiritual. Sometimes those consequences are, are physical. Sometimes they're brought on by ourselves. Sometimes they're brought on by others, but sin always, always has consequences. And the Bible tells us that Moses fled from Egypt and on this map, you'll see that he actually fled to what the Bible says is the land of Midian. And so I wanted to kind of describe for you a little bit about where that was so you could get the picture of it. This is the Mediterranean Sea up here. This, of course, is ancient Egypt and modern Egypt, where modern Egypt is located, although Egypt now controls much of this area. Uh, we have the Arabian Peninsula here. You can see there's Israel up here, there's Jerusalem, there's Bethlehem, there's Jericho, and then this is the Dead Sea. So this would be Southern Israel uh, today. But about 120 miles south of the Dead Sea is what most scholars refer to as the land of Midian. It's about 250 miles as the crow flies from Egypt to Midian. And so this is where Moses fled. We find in history that according to the Greek geographer Ptolemy and the church historian Eusebius, that the Midianite capital was the modern town in Saudi Arabia called Al-Bad, A-L-B-A-D, Al-Bad. And we find that it's about 26 miles due east of the Gulf of Aqaba. This is one of the gulfs off of the Red Sea. This is the Red Sea down here. And so most believe that he fled to that town, that city, the, the center of life, or possibly the town on the coast called Magna that was 26 miles closer to the water. Either way, that's the region where Moses went. Now think with me for a moment. Moses flees because of his own sin, because of his own poor choices. And we're gonna find out in a minute that Moses spends 40 years 
wandering and actually being a, she- a shepherd in the wilderness. Can you think of any benefit that God would have to send Moses for 40 years wandering with sheep through the wilderness? Can you think of any plan that might've been up God's sleeve? Now, we know that God is not the author of sin and God does not condone sin. God does not condone murder, but God was able to take Moses' sin, we're starting to see a peak of it, and actually use it for a purpose in the future. Of course, we're gonna learn later that it was the same wilderness that Moses led millions of Hebrews through the Exodus. He knew it like the back of his hand. Now, back in verse 15, it says that Moses sat down by a well. This is crucial just for our own narrative, our own mind of of how the story may have played out. This idea of where he sat down by a well could mean that he finally arrived to the land of Midian. He finally sat down and he was tired. Now, it could mean that, uh, but this Hebrew idea of he sat down by a well could also be translated that he, he put down roots by a well. Uh, most scholars believe that he had lived here for some time, that this wasn't a, a last minute event, but that he put down a tent in this location. Maybe he rented some property in this location. Uh, likely he would have taken some resources with him from Egypt. But either way, this story finds Moses by a well, which is super important for the next verse. In verse 16, it says, now a priest of Midian had seven daughters and they came to draw water and fill the troughs to water their father's flock. This event took place again in the area, the land of Midian. If by chance Moses lived in the city of Magna, 26 miles from Albad, it's believed that their father, who becomes very famous in the book of Exodus, had a house and was very popular in the area that we, we referred to a moment ago as the city of Al-Bad. So if they're 26 miles from home, they've got their father's flocks and they need water. Now, before we move on, it's important to see that many important events happen in the Old Testament around the well. One of those important events is it seems like the well was a great place to pick up a date. Uh, We see it in the book of Genesis chapter 24. Isaac's servant found him a wife at a well. Jacob found his wife at a well in Genesis 29. I don't know what kind of pickup lines they might've used at a well, uh, but if you can think of some good pickup lines, you can text me or message me this week. But this is where they they found their wives. And Moses is about to find his wife, verse 17. It says, some shepherds came along and drove them away. But Moses got up and came to their rescue and watered their flock. What I love about verse 17 is that Moses' basic character, his desire to do what's right is seen again in verse 17. He has this strong sense of justice. Moses, as we already saw, does not like anybody to be mistreated. So behind this very successful uh, person, there's this heart of, heart of love. There's this, this soft inner part of Moses that he loved people and hated to see people mistreated. 
And so here's these, these women, they're being driven away by the shepherds. The shepherds are telling them that's our water, that's our well. But Moses knows they needs, need water and their flock need water. And so Moses drives them away. The text doesn't tell us how he drew the, drove them away. But again, if Moses, as history tells us, was highly trained in the Egyptian military, Moses could handle himself. He goes all Chuck Norris on these shepherds, these cantankerous shepherds, and somehow he drives them away. Verse 18, when the girls returned to Reuel, their father, he asked them, why have you returned so early today? They answered, an Egyptian rescued us from the shepherds. He even drew the water for us and watered the flock. And where is he? Reuel asked his daughters. Why did you leave him? Invite him to have something to eat. And maybe you're wondering, like I wondered, why does the Old Testament name their father? What's the big deal about their father? We're gonna save that for the next few weeks, but if you wanna get a little bit of a, a sneak peek about their father, you can go to the sermon notes I told you about, and I've got a whole paragraph that you can study this week about their father. He actually goes by a different name from most of the rest of the Old Testament, uh, but he's an influential figure, and we'll learn about him later this summer. But verse 21 tells us this, Moses agreed to stay with a man who gave his daughter Zipporah to Moses in marriage. Zipporah gave birth to a son and Moses named him Gershom, saying, I have become a foreigner in a foreign land. Now we just covered 40 years of history and a handful of verses. And a handful of verses, Moses goes from Egypt over to Midian. He meets his wife, gets married, has a son, and he commits to work for many years for his father-in-law. The New Testament tells us later in Acts chapter seven that he works for 40 years for his father-in-law. So for 40 long years, Moses is receiving training from God. He's receiving training from hard work, from nature itself on how to lead sheep and one day people through this rugged terrain. But while Moses is doing that, something is happening back in Egypt. For those 40 years, life hasn't been easy for Moses, but it's been very, it's been exponentially worse for the people of Egypt. Let's go back to Egypt and find out what's been going on during these 40 years. In verse 23, the Bible says this. During that long period, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out and their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. During that period, the Pharaoh, Thutmose III, had died. A new Pharaoh came to power. Hebrew slavery continued. They groaned, they cried. And for 40 years, you can, you can imagine as they wondered, does God care? Does God hear our prayers? They cry and cry and cry out to God and nothing seems to get better. You know, I believe I'm preaching to someone today. I'm preaching to a man today. And right there, as you watch this message, you've been crying out to God for weeks, maybe months, maybe years for things to get better. 
and you're wondering, does God hear my prayers? I'm speaking to a woman today and, and you're, you've been crying out to God, crying yourself to sleep, pacing the floor at night, uh, asking God for some specific help that you need, some relief from your suffering, somebody in your family who's suffering. And right now you're watching this, but you're wondering, does God hear the prayers of his children when they suffer? I'm speaking to a student right now and you've been told that this whole idea of God is just a myth, that there's no, there's no credibility. It might as well be Greek mythology. And you know in your heart that's not true, but you're questioning, does God really care when I suffer? The answer is gonna come in verses 24 and 25. I love verse 24 and 25. It acts like a hinge for the book of Exodus. Up to this point, it's been nothing but suffering and pain. And Moses has been the central figure. But in verses 24 and 25, God comes on the scene. God heard their groaning and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. This doesn't mean that God had mentally forgotten because God knows all things. But this idea in the Hebrew means that God was ready to concentrate on his promises. He was ready to act on that which he had previously promised. It reminds us so much about God. God hears the groans of his children. He sees when we suffer. He always keeps his promises and God never, ever, ever gives up on his children, ever. This also tells us something about the, the family of God. Actually, the, the history, this story that God is writing through history, this text reminds us that even behind the scenes, God has been creating a new redeemed family for his glory, a people of every kindred, tongue, tribe, and nation. This is what he had promised Abraham. This is what he had promised Isaac, what he had promised Jacob. Next week, we're gonna see that God uses Moses. God, God chooses Moses to lead his people out of Egypt. It's been the source and the, the theme of many movies, uh, many books, many discussions, both secular and spiritual. No doubt many of you, most of you've heard what Moses did leading his people out of Egypt but let's remember it happened after 40 long years of discipline in the wilderness. 40 long years of hiding. 40 long years of Moses not allowing to be center stage. And finally, we're gonna learn next week that at the age of 80, God calls Moses to lead his people. Now, let's remember back where we started a few minutes ago this is the same Moses who murdered an Egyptian in cold blood. This is Moses the murderer. But during those 40 years, Moses learned something about the grace of God. Here's my big idea today. Here's my main point. This is what I, I want you to get today. Grace means I'm not defined by my greatest mistake. Grace means that I'm not defined by my greatest mistake. We could say it this way. Grace means that I'm more than the sum of my greatest mistake. 
Grace means that God can use my deepest sin for his highest glory and the world's greatest good. My sin is not powerful enough, think of this, to rewrite the story of grace that God has planned for me. Grace means that I am not defined by my greatest mistake. Now, before we close, I wanna read just a few verses from the book of Hebrews. Hebrews, we don't know who the writer of Hebrews is or was. Uh, some say that it's the apostle Paul. Uh, some even believe that it was the woman. It was a, a Priscilla of Priscilla and Aquila in the New Testament. Some believe it was Luke. Nobody knows for sure who wrote the book of Hebrews. We'll find out when we get to heaven. But the book of Hebrews chapter 11 contains what we call the great hall of faith. And in five or six verses, the writer of Hebrews is gonna tell us about Moses's life. And I wanna challenge you, almost like a puzzle or a riddle, as we read these verses, think to yourself what is not mentioned in the description of Moses. Okay, so here we go. Hebrews chapter 11, starting in verse 24. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. That was more than likely Queen Hatshepsut. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake, sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger, he persevered because he saw him who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and the application of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land, but when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. Now, what is missing from that list? What did the writer not mention? The answer is, is right there in front of all of us. And I haven't seen it until this week, but it just, it just what's not there jumped off the page at me. It's the murder of the Egyptian slave driver. This was such a big event in Moses' life, excuse me, in Moses' life. But yet, whenever the Bible is describing thousands of years later Moses' life, it doesn't mention the event. Why doesn't it mention the event? I am convinced that God in his grace is trying to teach us that when we put our faith in Christ, when we put our faith in the Savior, in the Deliverer, though our sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. When we put our faith in Christ, when you, Christian, put your faith in Christ, Jesus didn't just take your sin away. He washed your sin away for sure, past, present, and future, but he gave you something in its place. The book of Romans, the book of 2 Corinthians infers that, that Christ gave you his righteousness, the imputed righteousness of Christ. So in other words, all the good deeds that Jesus did during his life were put on your account and all the sinful deeds that you and I have ever done were put on his account, which helps us. It points back to our main point. It's all about grace. Grace means I am not defined by my greatest mistake. 
Christian, I wanna encourage you to believe that truth. I wanna encourage you to find ways this week to write down that truth, to, to tweet that truth, to put it on your refrigerator. Find ways to remind yourself of this. You say, Pastor Matt, why do I need to remind myself of this? Because I believe there are many Christians who are paralyzed over something they've done in the past. Sure, there are physical consequences and sometimes reputational, if that's even a word, consequences. But when it comes to your standing in Christ and your acceptance with Christ and your love from your brothers and sisters in Christ, grace means that I am not defined by my greatest mistake. Hey, for others of you, it's not a sin issue as much as it's a service issue. You've tried to do great things before. You've tried to do great things for the Lord before in your business, in your family, in your life, in your community, in your church. You've tried to do things and maybe they failed and so you've gotten discouraged. And every day Satan beats you up with the truth that you think you're a failure. There's no sense in trying anymore. Well, grace means that I'm not defined by my greatest mistake. You can keep trying. You can keep pursuing. You can keep going, not because it's your good effort and not because it's your good works, but because you've received the grace of God. You can keep on swinging and you can keep on missing and you can swing and miss a thousand times, but God's grace will never go away. Grace means that I am not defined by my greatest mistake. I wanna to conclude today reminding you of another murder that took place in the Bible, took place in history, recorded in the Bible. We know that Moses was a murderer and, and, and God brought salvation to a people out of a terrible circumstance. But I wanna tell you today quickly about a time that God brought salvation out of another murder, actually out of the, the death, the unjust, the death of his own son, Jesus Christ. You know, if you compare Moses and Jesus, there's so many similarities, though they lived 1500 years apart. Like Moses, Jesus was born to be a deliverer. Like Moses, Jesus rescued, was rescued from an evil ruler at his birth. Like Moses, Jesus sojourned in Egypt. Like Moses, there's decades of silent years before Jesus's public ministry. Like Moses, wandered in for 40 years in the wilderness, Jesus spent 40 years or 40, 40 days in the wilderness. Like Moses, Jesus met a woman at the well. Like Moses, Jesus went to a high mountain and gave the law his sermon on the mount. And like Moses, Jesus loved to refer to himself as a shepherd. Like Moses, Jesus was rejected by his own people. And like Moses, Jesus saw his heavenly father bring salvation through a murder. This murder was no fault of Jesus's. Actually, we find that it was your sin, it was my sin that put Jesus on that cross. But we know in the mind of God, it was part of his plan from before the foundation of the world that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Jesus died on the cross for your sins. He was buried. He rose again the third day to give you life. 
And God says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Jesus is a better Moses. Jesus offers you a better exodus. Jesus can lead you through the waters of salvation. He can lead you through the fires of transformation. And Jesus wants to lead you into the hope of restoration. If you'll put your faith and trust in him today. Will you let me pray for you? And I'm gonna pray that God opens your heart and allows you to trust in Christ as the savior from your sins. Father, thank you for those who are listening, for those who are watching on TV, for those who are watching online. God, I pray for every man, woman, and child, every student who's wrestling with the decision to put their faith in Christ, that they will flee to Jesus, that they will trust in Christ, the Christ who lives and reigns today. And God, they would become Christians. In Jesus' name, amen. If we can be a help to you, uh, the number here at the bottom of your screen, I wanna encourage you to text this number, uh, text this message to this number, and we'll actually have our online pastor, Pastor Matt Garrison, connect with you back via text, reach back out this week. You can have a conversation. We'd love, most importantly, to see you connected to Jesus. Once again, thank you for joining us this week. We look forward to serving you in next week's podcast, along with our weekend services every Sunday morning at 9 and 11 a.m.